Welcome to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce with Cindy Stibbard. Cindy is ready to have those candid and unfiltered conversations so you know how to move forward in your marriage. You'll hear inspiring and insightful discussions surrounding this taboo subject to help you feel confident in your decision. Now, here's your host, Cindy Stibbard. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Divorce Redefined. I'm your host, Cindy Stibbard. And thank you to everyone who continues to tune in with us every week. And if you are here for the first time, you have come to a very interesting place. If you are just contemplating divorce, if you're thick in the process, or you're out the other side wanting to make better choices and redefine yourself in your life, this is where we do that. No matter what stage of life you're in, maybe you're just dating and seeking guidance on how to be the best partner you can be. Maybe you're navigating through a tough time in your current relationship and you want help to do things better. Maybe you're going through a divorce and you need some guidance or inspiration to get through it. Or maybe you're already out on the other side and you're looking for ways to become a better, more evolved human. Whichever path you are on or stage you are at, my goal and purpose of this podcast is to provide you with the information, education, inspiration, and empowerment so you can make the best decisions for you, whatever those decisions may be. Now, today we're going to talk about relationships and going to couples counseling or couples therapy. Now, reflecting back on my story, if you guys have been following for me, me for a while, you sort of know how my story evolved. I spent five years contemplating divorce in a marriage that I didn't know where it was going. I spiraled to a really bad place after five years going down the depths of drinking too much, surrounding myself with people that were making, that weren't healthy for me, avoiding the hard conversations with my spouse because all they did was fall on deaf ears. And I just felt I was completely disconnecting from who I was and my marriage. And for five years, I literally was on the fence about this marriage, even begging and pleading him for marriage counseling. But to him, if I was unhappy, it was a me problem. And part of me believed that because as we sort of were raised and grew up and even in our families as we knew it, going to counseling or therapy meant something was wrong with you. And, you know, it was very stigmatized. Nobody really wanted to deal with that. And he especially did not want to go down that path with me. So if I wanted to get help, I was going to have to do it alone. But I knew that it was more than just me going, that things were breaking down with us. So I do remember this time I looked for couples counseling. I found this amazing Gottman clinic out of Seattle. And if anyone hasn't heard of the Gottmans, you need to look them up. They are amazing for their couples therapy and their their institution about how to save marriages. And so I found this workshop in Seattle and we were going to go down there for a weekend or I'd thought, and I presented it to him. It was kind of my last kick at the can, my last straw. It had been five years and I'm going to go for it. And I presented this to him saying, I found this, this workshop, we should go. And he took one look at me and he said, why would I go to Seattle to save our marriage? And that was the moment that it was turned for me, that I knew that there was nothing I could do on my own that was going to single-handedly save this, that he was not interested in coming on the ride to better ourselves, to reconnect, and to really focus on what was going on with our relationship. 
Now, if you know any facts about a relationship couples counseling, here are some facts from the Gottman Institute itself. So they say that only 31% of couples seek counseling before they get married. Only 19% of couples seek some form of couples therapy at all over the course of their relationship. And only 37% of divorced couples went to marriage counseling before they signed their divorce papers. And typically, they believe that the average couple waits six years before seeking professional help for problems that they're having in their marriage. So today, we are going to talk about that. We're going to talk about when is it too late to go down that path of getting help, and when can you actually intervene where couples therapy is really effective? I mean, I'll tell you how what I believe in it once we get into this. But today's guest is Sonia Smith, a licensed marriage and family therapist, specialized crisis counselor, and native New Yorker. She is trained in modern and postmodern marriage and family therapy approaches, which include multi-generational family therapy, structural family therapy, emotionally focused couples therapy, and solution-focused therapy. Sonia also has advanced training in trauma-focused CBT, accelerated experiential dynamic psychotherapy, and crisis de-escalation. Her work has focused on helping clients break free from emotional triggers, angry outbursts, and unhealthy impacts of relationship trauma. Welcome to the show, Sonia. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. I love having couples therapy on. I mean, I'm a huge fan of therapy. Mm -hmm. I actually really love going. (laughs) (laughs) And my post-marriage or my post-divorce relationship, um, we really loved going to couples therapy as well. We knew that right out of the gates, you know, entering out of divorce and into a new Mm -hmm. relationship, there were lots of things that we need to change about ourselves as well as the patterning that we had as, you know, couples from, from our old relationship. So let's, let's get into that today. So I want to first of all, just have a little bit of backstory about, you know, who you are and why you got started as a therapist. Okay. Um, so I start, I'm in Brooklyn. I started uh, studying in undergrad for communications. And um, I took one psych course, Psychology 101, and was like, oh, wait a minute. I think this is what I need to be doing. I need to be working with like people becoming aware of the way they communicate and the things that they're interested in and why they're interested in them and things of that nature. And then in my own life, I'm a mom. Um, I have three adult sons. So as I went down my parenting journey, I realized that uh, there were some things in my parenting style that impacted my relationship with my partner and impacted, Mm -hmm. it it made me then look at family therapy. Mm. It's like, okay, and wanted to work with children so that I could sort of heal that part of myself that was showing up in my relationship and in my parenting style with my children. So this is a very, this work is like super personal to me. Um, And as I started working with children and helping them heal, I realized that the parents' relationships really impacted the, the process for them being able to heal and to have hope. 
because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm working with youngsters and then they're seeing their parents and the way that their parents' relationship is. And it's, it was a barrier to their heal, to their healing. And, um, I landed with working with couples who have, uh, intense and frequent conflicts. And that's mm-hmm. what I've been doing ever since for the last four years. Wow. Yeah. And you do some really, really important work. And I love that you're bringing back, you're bringing back the, the impact that parent, a parental relationship as a couple has mm-hmm. on kids, because there's one thing that I see a lot of is that people are afraid to get divorced because they want to stay together for the kids. Now, yeah. I know that, you know, getting divorced is such a massive, massive decision. I know there can be, you know, reasons that couples can stay together for the sake of the kids. But tell me your perspective on this, because even in my own personal journey, I remember my parents' relationship was terrible when I was especially a teenager. And it was so high conflict that I sat them down when I was 15. And I said, okay, you guys, seriously, like this is enough. If you don't get divorced, I am leaving and moving out when I'm 18. (laughs) They were like, (laughs) okay. But they had like, I had three other siblings as well. And I realized like, this is terrible. You, the way that you treat each other, the the Mm -hmm. eggshells that we're all walking on the conflict, you know, this is not good. And so I, you know, I said, why don't you go think about that and come back to me? (laughs) So they didn't come back to me, but two weeks later, I approached my mom and I said, okay, have you guys made your decision? You know, what are you going to do? And she said to me, we've decided to stay together for the kids. And immediately I said, well, that's a terrible decision. So I guess I'm moving out when I'm 18. And that's what I did. So I would love to hear, you know, your perspective on that, because I know that's what holds a lot of people back. Mm -hmm from leading a marriage yes um it's it's at first glance admirable to want to keep the family together for the children involved because they are the the adult's responsibility and it's important to keep families together and at the same time your children know that you're not happy like they they're feeling that collateral damage of the arguments and the tension in the home. And as you mentioned, the eggshells, oh my goodness, the eggshells, mm. they feel that. And our children, they really do want us to be happy. So if, if we're, we're not, and especially if they're seeing that between these two important figures, mom and dad, it's, it's, it's a lot of times more detrimental. And, and it's funny that you um, sort of gave your parents this ultimatum, like you were so serious. Um, I know. A, a lot of children that I've worked with have said, I wish they would just break up. I wish they would, like, it's, it's too much. It's, yeah. it's traumatic for a child to be around frequent conflict between their caregivers. It is. It is. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I was, I'm a highly sensitive person. So like that is really, I was really open to all that conflict and that impact Mm -hmm. that some kids would just be like, oh, whatever, you know, it's normal. My parents fight. And, you know, I think what you are going back, what you said at the very beginning, where this is how our kids learn. So our, I mean, our kids, I feel they don't necessarily learn from our example. They catch the behaviors that they are in Mm -hmm. environments with. So if they are Mm -hmm. seeing, you know, you are really unhappy 
dysfunctional marriage, well, guess what they think marriage is going to look like or a yeah. relationship is going to look like, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, in the thinking about the child and we're thinking about the family we come from and wanting to have a level of just pride in our family to know when we go home that they don't know what they're going to get because the communication style between their caregivers aren't, isn't necessarily working or isn't, is non-existent. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's a lot to put on a child that we're staying together for you all. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I think that's, it, it can be too much. So when you see, you know, those relationships, so let's, let's talk about like those couples relationships. So they come to you getting therapy. I mean, the average is what I've heard. What do you think that couples come to therapy like six years too late is what I often hear time and time again, because they're not, we're not addressing issues almost before they arise. You know, like I think Mm -hmm. we spend all this money on this great wedding and all of the this money on this ha- this new house together and maybe new cars and maybe travel and our life experiences mm-hmm. and when you're married but nobody's spending the money and investing in the actual relationship and you have to you ha- I don't I know I this might be hard for people to hear but if you want your relationship to be healthy you got to work on it you really do so what yeah. do you see with people when are they coming to you when it's a good time to come? When are they coming to you when you're realizing that this might have this might be too late? Okay, so couples that come when I'm re- when it's like okay, y'all should have come here sooner. <laughs> um, so the patterns are entrenched, like the dysfunctional interaction pattern where um, each person has really dug the heels into their position and already decided what these uh, the nonverbal micro communications are. Like if someone sigh, if their partner sighs or makes a specific face, they've already decided in their head what that means and not and aren't checking in anymore. It's just mm-hmm. um, adversarial. It is. It, it has become very adversarial where it's not a team anymore. It's not a we. It's 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 them against me sort of situation in those particular couples. Um, Yeah, it's no vulnerability. There's Mm -hmm. like, this is a person that they decided to marry and and be vulnerable. This is their person. And all Mm -hmm. of a sudden, their person has turned into their adversary. And Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, I would say like, it's too late when they can't see each other anymore when they can only see one another as an adversary. When it's like the reasons that they decided to unite and start a family together just don't feel that they don't feel connected to it anymore. It's, they're more connected to the pain and the, the whatever strife that has accumulated. That's right. when it, it feels too late. So they're focused on the problem instead of really listening to each other. And that, that respect is, is, Gone. Gone. Yeah. Right. So when do you see, you know, once the what's the turning point for a couple that comes to you and and being able to to fix it? Because I think a lot of times too, which, which I notice with couples, is that one person really wants to go because they're really mm-hmm. invested in saving this relationship. The other person, which I call sort of the leaning out 
spouse isn't really on board with this, but they're willing to go to give it a try for the sake of the other, their other partner. So if you're coming into therapy together, one part, one partner's leaning in, one partner's leaning out, where can they actually start to rebuild so that they can reconnect this? Because I feel sometimes one partner is so, when you think you're going to lose someone, you're almost too overbearing that you're suff- suffocating mm-hmm. them, which makes them want to retreat even more. Mm-hmm. So what do you tend to recommend to couples when they're at this place where one's leaning in, one's leaning out, and how do they kind of come to the center together? Well, I like to think of it as like going down the middle, like we're, we're deciding, do I, I, it's so funny, <laughs> a couple comes to mind in particular, like they were um, separated, they weren't living together anymore, and um they were coming to see if they wanted to save the marriage. And I'm like, okay, it doesn't work like that. Like you commit to wanting to save it and then you save it. You don't come to decide if you're saved. I can't decide that for you. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you're here, you're saying that you want to do the work. So is this you having a conscious decision of, okay, I'm committing to reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's, it's, it's a choice a choice that we're wanting to reconcile. So we're going to do the work. Mm -hmm. You've got to want to, right? Like if you're you're actually going, you've got to want to do the work. You can't go to counseling or therapy and think that it's just all of a sudden going to change because now you're, you're attending these sessions once a week Mm -hmm. or once every two Mm -hmm. weeks, you actually have to go and make the changes that need to be made inside the relationship. And I know that that's hard. I mean, my partner and I, even post-divorce, we did that too, because we didn't want our old patterns to interfere. And we still had to make a a conscious effort to practice the things that you're told in therapy. So you have a specific um, approach and it's called EFT. And if people out there haven't heard of it, it's called emotionally focused couples therapy. So this is just one of many approaches. But tell us how that works and who benefits most from this. So EFT is, as you said, emotionally focused couples therapy. And um, it gets below the, the surface. Like a lot of times we think we're arguing about the dishes, but it's what that means to, to the individual people who are having this uh, disagreement. Mm-hmm. So EFT looks at do you know your partner? Like, do you know, like how that, how particular things make your partner feel? And while you might be getting that defensive part of your partner coming up, what else is there? What's the, what, what's the feeling that like turning towards like, what could this, what could my person possibly be feeling to make them want to lash out this way? And instead of, getting quickly on the the um the offensive and wanting to defend oneself it's like wait a minute my partner seems to be in emotional stress so let me tend to that instead of trying to decide who's right and who's wrong about who should have washed the dishes mm. Okay, so it's going a bit deeper into into take, take perspective taking almost. Like, let's forget what the issue is that we're dealing with in terms of our power struggle here and what I think mm-hmm. is right and what you think is right. And let's think about how you must be feeling in this situation. Yes. That, am I getting that? Yes. 
Okay. So in your, in your experience, then how do couples rebuild and maintain and start to see things from, from their partner's perspective and then start to, you know, communicate in a, in a more healthy way around something like this, because you're right. Getting mad that the dishes aren't, aren't done or that, you know, the bottles aren't in the recycling or you're not picking up your clothes. It does go deeper than that. There are these Mm -hmm. underlying needs that aren't being met. So how do you get to the root of those so that couples can actually see what's truly happening in them so they can start to take that perspective and open to that awareness and that empathy piece? Well, I get to that. Of course, it takes time because when our defenses, we have our defaults, like our defenses is up, are, excuse me, are up and we've decided that it's, it's feeling unsafe at the moment with, with our person and the default comes in, the, the fight or flight, I need to protect myself. So getting out of the mindset of this is an adversary, remembering like this is my person, like this is, this is a safe person, remembering that. And, and again, remembering um, like we've chosen that particular person and we've chosen them for particular reasons and being able to know those reasons, even in times of conflict or it, it gets, you know, our, we could forget our, our reasons could get lost after frequent and, and um, intense conflict over time. So getting them to remember like <clears throat> the purpose Yes, they got together for love, but there was something else that made them plan that wedding and sign that paperwork and and plan a family. So getting to that part of like seeing the actual person for who they are again, instead of that, that adversary that's that that's opposed their opposition in these these different arguments. Right. Right. And you said safety. Now, what if a couple comes to you and like one spouse doesn't feel safe because they've had these conflicts and this, and this, um, really erosive, abusive relationship for a while, they're coming Mm. to therapy and need to work it out. And it's no longer emotionally safe for me to be there with them. I can't speak my mind because I get shut down. I can't say how I feel because it's dismissed. I can't, you know, really talk about, about my inner feelings because they fall on deaf ears or they're put down or I'm shamed or there's contempt and criticism like alive and well in my relationship. So sharing my vulnerable fears and needs and wants is not a safe place. How do you rebuild that with couples? Because that's a big one. That is a big one. And in that case, it would be a different question of when is it too soon to go to couples therapy? And when oh, that there's a, happens, there's a too soon. Tell us yes. that. <laughs> I work with high conflict couples and I'll have couples call in for a consultation and s- sort of see the, as you said, contention and contempt and s- sometimes just downright, they don't seem to like each other. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's, it's, I don't work with couples at that point. I, I request if they want to work with me that they do at least six months of individual therapy on their own because there's a lot of accountability that needs to happen on both parts to be able to come into a room and 
step away from the narrative of you did, you hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you back, or it's your fault, or the blame game. To step mm-hmm. away from that, it takes a lot of self-awareness. And each person does need to process their, their have, a, have a safe place to process their hurts. Mm-hmm. So that's when couples therapy is too soon, <laughs> when there is that level of conflict where, where safety feels um, threatened. Uh, okay. So what you're saying is like if that, if they're at that place where it's gotten to that point, there needs to be mm-hmm. some deep individual work that happens first. So that by the time they come together, yes. those pieces are, are dealt with. Yes. Those pieces are held mm. because it, it's, it's very, uh, it's, it, it is volatile and unstable when you have a couple that's just in a cycle of conflict. Like it's, it's, it's apparent that it's, in, it's apparent that opening up certain conversations will erupt in a, a escalate a conflict. So it's important for them to be, to be engaged in their own separate safe space so that they're, the, it doesn't lead with the hurt. It doesn't lead with the, it, they're not coming with their claws out. Yes. I think that's really good advice because if going to couples therapy for the first time is literally also on the crux of a divorce, or maybe there's been, you know, an affair and now you're going to therapy and, or maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, one person isn't sure about this marriage. And so now you're going to therapy for the first time, like ever, like neither of you have Mm -hmm. actually done anything, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. I can so see how it could just erupt in this massive you know, volcano of all of the hurt and the pain that's caused over the many years, because that was my situation. I, my ex-husband and I didn't go to therapy when I was, went to leave the marriage. Um, It finally, he decided, all right, it's time. Let's go to couples therapy. And I was like too far gone. It was like a volcano Mm -hmm. of lava coming Mm -hmm. out. And I just, I couldn't see anything from his perspective. I wasn't willing to listen. I didn't care if it hurt him. You know, I was just Mm -hmm. so, I had built all that up inside and had nowhere else to put it except right there with him. And looking back, yeah, Mm -hmm. we definitely should have done a lot more work on our own to process that in a, in a better way before coming together. And it actually, I think going to couples therapy made our situation even worse because we started to be really nasty to each other. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. That so yeah, that's that's what I, what I would say when couples therapy is too soon. Yeah, it's um, it could definitely turn up just individuals off from therapy altogether because it's like yikes! I went there and I feel like I was before a firing squad. Yeah, it just gets really hard, and it makes them not want to come back a lot of the times too, yes. because no one wants mm-hmm. to 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 be in that place where it's so so high conflict like that. Um, let's talk about that piece of do you deal with couples who come to you and there have been has been infidelity and now they're trying to repair? Yes, yes. So, so how do you go and dive into that? I first start as by establishing does both parties want this to be fixed i i, I i'm using fixed at, at right now but that mm-hmm. probably wouldn't be the word that i used in session because i don't think anybody needs to be fixed maybe mm-hmm. situations need 
more attention and more care. But um, I would definitely ask both parties, like, do we feel like this is salvageable? Like all that, all the feelings that you're having right now, like, do you feel like you still want to put more into this? And if both parties are like, yes, I, will, I'm, I'm, I want to save this or um, I'm willing. I, and, and it just takes a willingness from both parties. Like, I'm willing. I don't even know what this entails, but this is important to me and I'm willing. Um, that's, that's where I start from. Mm, Okay. And what if one partner doesn't, hasn't told the other partner that there's been infidelity? How do you navigate that? Do you even work with those people at all? Mm, I I mean, if I'm finding out alone from the other partner, I I give a time limit. Like I, I want to work with them. I want to support, um, them in their healing journey because infidelity it's 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 one of those sticky subjects we want to say point the finger and you know this person did something wrong and and okay but but there's still reasons for why things happen so i'm wanting to be able to be a space to be compassionate for someone in that situation but at the same time it's, it's not helpful for the therapeutic process to keep a secret like that. So right. I would talk to them of how they wanted to share that secret and we would have a time frame. Um, and then also after the, the secret is shared would go about how the three of us are going to like mend our therapeutic relationship because there was a one partner that didn't know something that to, you know, they were left out. So doing my best to bring them back into our, our relationship, because it's a, a relationship between me and this couple, not me and the, in each individual, like the unit is what's what I'm there for. Right. And I mean, that has to be full transparency. If you're coming to therapy, like you better put yes. all of your cards out on the table. So if you want to rebuild that trust piece, then it's going to have to be all of it, you know, in order for it to be really yes. built. And so what are this, what's the success rate that you see with couples like that? Because I mean, with infidelity, I mean, I've been on both sides of the infidel- infidelity coin. There are definitely mm-hmm. pieces of accountability that we each need to be accountable for as to why it happened. I believe personally that it's a symptom of bigger issues. You know, if it just happens once, mm-hmm. it's a symptom of bigger issues inside your marriage that clearly were not working. If it's multiple times and it's kind of a repeated pattern of a partner stepping out, then uh, then I think personally that there are issues within that person that also need to be addressed. That this is a pattern that maybe they've grown up with or there's something that, that they need to work on themselves. Mm-hmm. But how often do you see this being successful that a couple can repair from this? Because to me, in my opinion, if it happens once, and I have seen this happen, and it's beautiful when it does, is it can truly crack open a relationship and really make it so vulnerable in a way that allows couples to shed all of the shit and all of their bad patterns and and really almost divorce the old relationship and start something brand new. Because it's really allowed you to see where the big cracks are in this marriage mm-hmm. to be able to have opened the door to be vulnerable to infidelity in the first place place, you know, how someone 
your partner must be feeling in order to even be tempted to go in that direction, you know? So what do you typically see and how successful can couples be in this, in this way? Mm, That is a, a great question. Well, as I'm sitting and I'm thinking about the question and how successful couples can be, it's, it's really a matter of, it's, it's individual. I can't really say, um, that I've seen particular characteristics in, um, individuals that make them more successful or less, or less successful after infidelity, but it's the individual's desire to I, I, not just forgive, but to like learn, like, as you said, to really peel back all the layers and look at the good, the bad, the ugly. And even the person who's been, um, has been transgressed against them even being able to see the part that they're, they've played in the relationship, taking that turn. Um, Mm. so accountability, each person really um, being naked in front of each other and giving each other safety. Right. And that accountability piece is definitely huge. And, you know, what about also just letting it go? Because you do see those couples who can't quite let it go. One person who was, mm-hmm. you know, the one who was hurt and, and mm-hmm. deceived keeps bringing it back or holding it over their head or, you know, this is what you did to me. And so, you know, you, you owe me for the pain that you caused. I mean, this isn't going to be really successful if we can't actually, you know, leave that bit in the past and, and stop bringing it up into the future. Mm -hmm. And that's when I would also say that's again, where individual therapy comes about because we don't just do things like um, have certain behaviors one time, like how we operate. Something went wrong, so someone needs to be punished, someone needs to pay. That's a mindset that we're, or a belief that one carries in, in all areas of their life. So sort of getting in touch with why that is and if it's okay with them and, and all of those things, like having a level of self-awareness is just about our own process helps tremendously in healing from something like infidelity. Mm-hmm. And for couples therapy to really work, I mean, let's be honest, so many people also come to me and they're like, yeah, we've tried therapy and they might have gone like one, two, three or four times, like really gone a couple of times to, to give it a try. But I don't think you can truly get anywhere just going one or two times. And even if someone's like, oh, yeah, I go to therapy. Three times is even just scratching the surface. Right? Yes. So, and and someone even going to therapy on their own. Oh, yeah, I've been a couple of times. So I've I've done work on myself. You have not. You you really have not. You visited a therapist and you've paid a bill a couple of times. But like, how much do you really feel takes Mm -hmm. takes for people to go deep and truly start to reshape themselves and their relationship? Like realistically, at the very least, six months to gain a level of awareness of our because patterns need to play out. That's how we're learning ourselves, not just from talking, but talking and then having like a level of insight and living and being like, oh, I do that thing. And it might take a couple weeks for different processes to become clear. So at least six months before you're like, I'm, 
I know myself and I know actually what I really want to work on. Because sometimes we go to therapy and say, oh, I want to work on communication. I want to work on this, on um, being nicer or living in the moment or having more joy in my life. And it's like, what does that really mean? Yeah, right. So at least six months for for a person to gain insight to make practical steps to change or modify, or you might realize, you know what? I'm actually happy with this part. It's another part that I want to change, but Mm -hmm. giving it six months to see how we process Mm -hmm. is important. Like like weekly sessions for six months? Is that what you think? Yes, weekly sessions for six months. And, And also connecting is not it's not as easy as we think mm-hmm. like connecting with someone connecting with our therapist especially when we have relationship trauma to give it time and have patience and it's it's to uh, individuals benefit and to a couple's benefit to give it the time that it needs because it, it we need space we need the space to understand like what our needs are cuz plenty of times we go through our lives where that's not something that we're encouraged to focus on. So, yeah. or can we communicate? Moms, it's, it's, it's being fair to oneself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like, you know, being like, I was just saying, you mean to communicate it. Like if you aren't able to, to name it and communicate it to your partner, which is likely why you're having trouble with your relationship because mm-hmm. you're having trouble communicating it. Don't expect to show up in therapy and be able to say, well, these are my needs, A, B, and C. <laughs> Because we haven't been able to express those to our partners. So it does, like you said, takes time because you're going to be focusing on all of those almost actions that are happening in your relationship that aren't being done, like the garbage not taken out, like the mess on the floor. You don't help me with the kids. You, you know, sit around. Those aren't the issues. It's what does Mm -hmm. that mean underneath, right? That is manifesting itself in that way. Like, do you feel like you're being taken advantage of? Do you not feel that you're respecting yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Are you feeling like a team? Do you feel alone? Because I I found that that's one of the um, underlining problems under the we need better communication where there's one partner that feels like they're alone in their relationship. Like they're the only ones that care, like they're the only party in the marriage that still cares and having that kind of information would be, would be helpful. Uh, Instead of just saying we have bad communication, being able to say, well, I'm feeling alone. I'm feeling Mm -hmm. like I'm the only one who wants this. So being able to actually, um, a place to something to respond to instead of just being like I'm just feeling tension and I'm walking on eggshells and scared to say or do anything yeah for sure so in your opinion what are some really essential qualities and even behaviors that contribute to a lasting and fulfilling relationship that you tend to see so I mean you see so much of the problems come to you but what are the Mm -hmm. behaviors that need to be in place in order for for these couples to then move through these hard patches so they can move to a healthier, happier place. Couples that face conflict, they don't try to avoid it. They don't try to wait for the perfect time to bring something up. They are are good at having a soft, they like the partner 
it's two partners and, and one knows that they want to say something that might upset, upset their partner, but they know that they want to have a real and authentic relationship and, and be known by this person for real. They have soft startups. They don't just come in, you know, guns blazing and accusing. And it's, it's more curiosity, asking a question, how, how, and, and, and what, staying away from why questions. Too many why questions in a row would, pit, would put most of us humans on defense. Mm. So how come? I was wondering. Those are better ways to bring things up. Um, mm -hmm. and having a level of admiration for one another. Yes, we don't love everything about our partner, but there are some things that we just admire, like are in awe of in that person. And when they're getting on your last dang nerve, you should be able to hopefully <laughs> lean on that, <laughs> you know, lean on that in those moments. To, to be able to come from a place of, okay, this is, this is still my person. They're being mm -hmm. a pain in the butt, but I know it has to be something going on. So mm -hmm. let me get curious. Yeah. Yeah. Getting curious. And I think too, I think too, you know, I, I've been, I've learned a lot about the I statements. You know, we tend to be mm -hmm. really, we tend to just be naturally accusatory with our language, even though we might not necessarily mean it. But the moment we say, you know, yes. you make me feel this way, or you do this to me, then mm -hmm. of course you're going to get on the defense. I mean, we feel attacked. We feel like I don't mean mm -hmm. to do that to you, but you're accusing me of a certain, of a certain thing, but shifting it, it around, yeah. you know? Yeah, don't make your partner bad. <laughs> right. Don't make your partner bad. You know, I and use I statements in terms of how these things are making you feel because really they are only from your perspective. Someone mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily make you feel a certain way, but their behaviors or their actions can cause you to, you know, contribute to how you might be feeling based yeah. on what that's triggering in yourself, right? Mm -hmm. You could touch a sore spot, of course. Yeah, but to to maybe try to come from a place more often of this is my person and they're not meaning to hurt me. Mm -hmm. this, this has hurt, or this has you know caused some disturbance in me, and I'm and being aware of like oh wait that caused like a I'm feeling riled up and instead of just behaving from those feelings like noticing oh they're there I'm disturbed by this I wonder why. Mm -hmm. And instead of it being like that person meant to dysregulate you or get you disturbed, it's maybe I need to ask some questions before I ask myself some questions before I begin asking my partner yes. questions. There is so much though, to be said about that level of self-awareness. Like if you're going into therapy, you've got to be open to taking accountability and to see yourself. You are likely also contributing to the problem. You know, we just, we all do, but knowing mm -hmm. that this isn't a place where we're placing, you're getting put blame on, but a place where you can actually hold, hold space for yourself to yeah. be human and make mistakes in a relationship, but then just learn from them, you know, and mm -hmm. be able to switch that around and not take it so personally and, and grow with your partner. I feel like that level of vulnerability too allows you to just connect on this level of, you know what, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Let's, let's learn how to do this better together. Yeah. 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 So as we wrap up, I love this conversation, but as we wrap up, what advice do you give couples 
who want to just maintain a certain, a, a better relationship right now. Like they want to put fun, spontaneity, more love back in their life because they are struggling and they've decided to come to couples therapy. So what do you, first of all, what do you suggest? When should they start coming and what can they do even just right now in their relationship to kind of get the ball rolling into something healthier? Well, there's couples therapy is for everyone and it's, Today is the best time to go. Like right now, today, we all have relationships and couples therapy helps with romantic relationships, but it just also helps with relationships with other humans. You know, we learn how to be in our own body and be receptive into also um, yeah. express in a way that others can take in and be, be useful instead of separating each other you're coming closer together and I was just at a engagement party and the the groom-to-be is like five minutes what do you say what do you what do you say um is the best um couples therapy advice and remember to see each other like no matter what's going on well thank you thank you so much thank you Sonia I really appreciate all your feedback all your suggestions and advice I do agree couples therapy is so important and do it right away if you're getting into a new relationship start because you do not have to wait until you have an issue to start going to therapy. And I promise you, even though you don't think you got anything to talk about, you will find something when you get there. So thank you so much, Sonia. Thank you, you have for things being to here talk today. About. Yeah, <laughs> always. <laughs> oh, thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you so Bye. much. Thanks everyone for listening today. Thank you for listening to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce. We hope Cindy and her guests were able to put your mind at ease and help you make the right decision for your marriage. We wish you a beautiful week.